Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire Season 2. I'm in Vernon, BC with Fire Chief David Lind. I shouldn't call you David. It sounds like only your mom calls you David, but <laughs> everyone can relate to that story for sure. Thanks for having me. I was out here in Kelowna visiting some friends and uh, give you a shout and look at here we are. Boom. I get the big tour and we're going to do a podcast. Thanks so much for having me out. I got to tell you, as we were driving through going to Kelowna, I thought, I would not want to be the fire chief of this place, right? You know, just the congestion. Now, to be fair, right, not to pick on Vernon, I thought that every single community I went through from the time I left Sycamus all the way to Kelowna, (laughs) there's a lot of people, busy highways, uh, a lot of congestion. So that being said, obviously, people come here because it's an amazing, beautiful place, right? Absolutely. So... uh, Thanks for having me in today. We're sitting in your fire hall, and I can't remember what the plaque said, but it was 60, 1960-something the place was built. And I got to tell you, like, so cool. Can you imagine in 1960 what was around this place and what this looked like? Oh, I think the city's changed considerably (laughs) over the years. (laughs) Right. So much growth, so much growth. You know, in 1960-whatever, what what this, this would have been like the greatest fire hall in his whole area probably right i think this would have been the uh mothership if you will of fire halls in yeah, the area of course right? yeah yeah and it's still serving its purpose today oh, so, they uh, always do right i mean we can always find a way to make them work and and so we got to take a walk around and you showed me the the monument that the firefighters built out front with the old bell and uh i can't remember exactly what it said it was they bought the bell for 170 some dollars and and then built a, a bell tower to go with it and and i just love those pieces right Right. Um, I'm sure people will just jump on my social media and and kind of look at this thing. I'll I'll post some pictures. It's just how firefighters are. It just screams firefighters and fire departments and and the service, right? Yes. Um, How how we all think how great that is. Pride in the profession and and just very proud of where we came from. So a lot of history, a lot of history in the fire service. Oh, so much, right? It's always funny because when we do these, I think we we always waste all the best stuff talking before we ever start the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But just... You know, to get us ready and to remember all of these things that we have to talk about. And so, you know, when I drive through here and we were talking about the military base and how that's gone through its phases. And in one of your areas, you've got a place, I think Predator Ridge, you called it, where it's, uh, you know, really nice homes. and Beautiful homes. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of famous people come and, and, uh, you know, you guys have to be in charge of protecting all of that. And, And before I came over today, I was driving around, you know, up on the hillsides on both sides and kind of as you go from lake to lake and valley to valley and, and you follow along of course in a fireman's mind you think of all the challenges of the millions of things that it takes to make this all work right and so uh wow uh, uh, absolutely <laughs> vernon has a really unique footprint it's a long stretch of, i guess not unique for british columbia but lots of one way in one way out kind of things where you're really not so far from an address it's just the the route that you need to take to get there is a little bit convoluted we can be 35 minutes from one side of the protection area to the next again not so much the distance isn't the problem it's it's the route to get, get there, there. <laughs> yeah if you could fly <laughs> yes yes yeah. another thing you notice as you drive through the valley is is the homes right yeah so you got everything from something built in the 1800s to uh, brand new homes that they're building while we're talking here yeah so many different kinds and styles and you know you see the little box house that you know somebody built way back in and and people are still living in it right? yeah yeah and then the houses cantilevered out over top of the lake so they get the best view oh absolutely um <laughs> as you move down uh, east side road along okanagan lake there's some beautiful multi-million dollar homes built halfway down the cliff 
So access, of course, is, is really difficult. And we've got these really cool electric patios that actually slide down to the oh, home to the water. for the access. Oh, okay. But from a firefighting perspective, <laughs> it, it creates a few challenges. Yeah, let me yeah. call the elevator. We'll just wait here. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's true. And and so when you drive through these, you know, unique places for me, right, I'm Alberta guy, I really see like, you know, the tactics have to change, the operations have to change, the training has to change. And it's just cool to think that people are all over that all the time, right? Every town you go to. And there's some bigger cities like Vernon and, and Kelowna, and there's some smaller areas as well that, you know, you guys all have some of these similar type problems. And then summer comes. Yes. And yes. every problem you had multiplies by two or three or whatever it is. And so I often think, you know, when you live in these beautiful places, you almost dread summer. Well, yeah, you know, uh, I'll be honest, I really haven't had much of a summer in, in the five years I've been with uh, the city of Vernon. We had a couple uh, in the middle there. 17 was was pretty crazy. And last year, of course, was, was yeah. nuts. But if it, it seems if it's not centered around Vernon, there's something going on in the area that has an impact. So whether it's evacuations from another community and you've got your yeah. emergency program running. And yeah, so the winter is, is becoming my favorite time of the year. <laughs> and, you I know, can do whatever I want. I get weekends off. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Jimmy, you mentioned those summer months and those the, the fires in the summer months. and. Starting as a firefighter in municipal world, it seemed early in my career, we were always focused on the threat of fire from inside of a home. And it's interesting as you watched that evolve. And now we're equally or even more concerned with the, the fire starting on the outside of the home. So you, you've seen an incredible shift in activity with FireSmart, uh, fuels treatments in municipalities. We're, we're managing multiple grants, working with different companies trying to treat the uh, wildland urban interface areas that are city-owned land. So that type of thing was never in the fire department's portfolio before. <laughs> yeah. You didn't learn that, all your fire chiefing up to this point, eh? And then all of a sudden you got to be right in the middle of it. I agree. I would say, you know, like FireSmart's a great program and they've done amazing things. But I think back to like 2010, 2009, and FireSmart was just a black book with a red binder yes. and a flame on the front. And yeah. we probably all read it, let's pretend. Yeah. And, you know, knew some of what it said. And now fast forward just 10 years later, and I guarantee you almost every fire chief I know that's in the forest can tell you exactly what that thing says, maybe had input into what it says. Yeah. Definitely trying to look for people. You know, I look around your office, you got a home protection kit on yes, the shelf yes. and, <laughs> and, you know, all the plans to go with it, right? Yeah. And so it really has changed. And, and I can't agree with you more as far as the house part. I think one of my first questions was always like, did it start outside and go to the house? Yeah. Which means I got a forest fire and a house fire to deal with. Or is it like the house is on fire and we'll deal with that but can it also catch the forest on fire? Absolutely. And and so, you know, I would have never even thought of that. I would say, you know, 12, 13 years ago mm -hmm. wasn't even really a thing. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. And now every summer somewhere. Yeah. Right. You know, last year, Manitoba was having it. Saskatchewan was having it. You guys out in BC were having it. It was a quieter year in Alberta, but it'll switch around. Right. And so I don't even like to throw predictions out, but here we are in March and I don't know if I saw much snow around since I've been here and, yeah. you know, lots can change. But, you know, who would have even thought that having a fire smart coordinator would be a position? And Absolutely. You know, yeah. Now dozens of fire departments have that that position. We actually had a, filled a position about a year ago uh, through grant funding. A bit of a challenge, the grant funding, because it's intermittent. And so you, but so far we've been successful in hanging on to the position until 2021. And the city has actually got a, a FireSmart task force, and we've used the name FireSmart, but really it's encompassing fuels treatment, fuels management. And we're looking at how the city is managing its lands and its development. So the fire department's really embedded in that. It touches all the city departments, certainly our planning department, but even, even our maintenance folks, the schedules they're, they're maintaining city lands on. And it's interesting, the competing priorities. So... For the longest time, city-owned lands that were perhaps provided to the city through a development, and so so it becomes parkland, uh, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah, here it's yours. <laughs> and um, and for the longest time, the push has been to call it natural parkland and leave it for the deer and the the, the rabbits and the mice and whatever else <laughs> wants to whatever be there. Whatever wants to be there, yeah. Yeah. So now we have these efforts where we're trying to educate and, and promote people doing smart things with their landscaping and their building materials and their their structures and all of these 
these good things. And then you've got these seedy parcels of land that are untreated and, and actually really causing a threat in some places. It's not that long ago, if you walked around city buildings, you would see lots of things that were contrary to intelligent decisions around <laughs> protecting it from or, yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we're seeing that shift and we're seeing, actually, it's kind of neat how the problem has helped break down silos in the city and really pull us together. It's an exciting time, I think, for that work. You're seeing our, our structure firefighters, part of sprinkler protection unit crews deploying on wildland fires uh, throughout BC. They're gaining experience. They're bringing home because it's, it's such a different beast when you're dealing with a large interface fire, as oh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and, and, and not so much in our wheelhouse. Like it, it isn't what we learn as we're, we're growing up in the fire service and we're going to single family home fires or maybe an apartment fire or contents fire. Yeah, well, um, go, go back to the start, right? How many times did you go to a house fire that turned into two or three? Mm, right. Exactly. How, how many times had you ever heard of a you know conflagration fire? Yeah, okay, we're going back a couple of decades here, but mm-hmm. you know we, we just didn't get to see those things. That's right. That's and right. now you know every house fire could be two or three, and and these big wildland fires can take down hundreds or thousands of houses in minutes. Yes. Right. You know, this past winter, you know, in the states, they lose a whole section of city in December. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so we're like, well, what, what do you mean? Well, that's okay. That was in California. No, it wasn't in California, right? It, it was in a place that's not that different from what we're used to. And so it is crazy that, you know, some people don't involve the fire department in all of that stuff. I'm happy to hear that yours is. But, you know, some places it's almost like the building code. And, you know, yes, you, yeah. they build this place and say, hey, congratulations. Now it's yours. Use the fire code and, and fix it. But it's too late. We already built it. We already took the parkland. We already <laughs> we, we've approved. Yes, yes, we've approved the development, and and the developers are pushing. Of course, always you're looking for urban density and things to reduce the cost of housing. And housing's a real problem in BC. So you want to build it taller, closer together, and squeeze in as much as you can. Yeah. And then the fire department comes along and says, "Hey, we need the roads wider, and we need access, and you need you to do spread the opposite this stuff." Of <laughs> we don't like it like this. So um, it, it is encouraging uh, in the city. We're really recognizing that and working through it, but there definitely are competing interests and and what's good for one is not necessarily great in the other. You'll see some of our roads, a lot of traffic calming and uh, very difficult to get a fire engine down some of those streets. So we've been working with planning, long-term planning and building, and we take the inspectors and the the good folks doing that work out in our ladder truck and and cruise around the city. This is (laughs) what we drive. Yes. (laughs) Well, even uh, like in the region, uh, a lot of the townhomes and multi-family homes are built up on a slope or or a cliff, and the developers will use a, a zoning and create basically a strata road so they don't have to meet municipal standards. Well, then you can't drive a fire truck up the road. You can't get a fire engine in there. You can't turn around. So we're alive to the uh, to the issues, and and we're working on it. So that's really interesting work, and it we're seeing- and it's funny because. You know, we learned a bunch of that stuff in 2003 with the fire in Kelowna. We learned a bunch of that stuff in 2011 in Slave Lake. Yeah. We learned a bunch of that in Fort McMurray, I thought. Yes, right? yeah. But again, the difference between lessons learned and lessons observed are quite apparent, right? But again, you're there, you're at the meetings, you have a chance to speak. And I think that if, you know, the people listening take anything from it, it's like make sure you're in those rooms and make sure you're part of those conversations. Absolutely. Because uh, you're going to lose if you're not. You have to participate. <laughs> and you know what? Three quarters of the meeting or more may not apply to you, but you need to be there for that opportunity. Exactly. When, that when one sentence you got to get out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that one page of the Fire Smart <laughs> Manual you can quote, right? That's right. I'm with you. All right. We're going to come back to that because I want to talk some more about the deployments and the work that the guys do when they go out. Sure. But let's jump back to you, right? A lot of the people don't know you. I didn't know you till today. And, and so we've had a pretty awesome career. You've got to do everything from soup to nuts. And, and so let's roll it back a bit. Kind of, uh, you know, you started as a firefighter over in Manitoba. I knew what I wanted to do fairly early. I think it was in grade nine or 10. And we had a career symposium. My dad was a soldier, a longtime soldier, 34 years he did with the Canadian military. Aunts and uncles are police and, and those kinds of folks. So I knew I was going to be in the service industry. There didn't even ever seem to be a question. 
And I went to a uh, a career symposium in, in grade 9 or 10, like I said, in Brandon. And the Manitoba Emergency Services College had uh, an engine down there and they had uh, some folks talking about the fire service. and yeah, Everything right there. Yeah, you bet. Still there. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so I decided right then. I walked in the door. We were to pick three professions that we might be, con- you know, consider and right uh, put in fire and then police were beside them and I put police down and I don't even remember what the third was but anyway I went to fire college after that right out of high school and um, from there took my emergency medical technician at SAIT in in Alberta and then started in the fire service so worked in Portage the Prairie for a few years Brandon Manitoba and while I was in Brandon I, I became a training officer when I left there, I went to uh, Cranbrook, British Columbia. Oh, and beautiful spot. Beautiful too. place. Yeah. Beautiful place. So I, was, I went as a deputy chief. I was there for six years. I worked with an excellent mentor. Oh, my gosh. Still a, a can name drop here. It's okay. Wayne Price. <laughs> 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 Wonderful man. Uh, and uh, still a lifelong friend now. And I worked with an excellent CAO there as well. So just some, some really good people that uh, set me up well. Yeah, and you need that, right? I mean, you do. You, you gotta. It's it's hard to learn in this business, right? And especially the higher you go, the less people have that job. And you know, some people get promoted to the point of incompetence, and others are just awesome people that you want to be around all the time. But you can't just look at somebody and know who's who. And That's so, right. You know, when you find those mentors that just make a lifelong difference for you, you got to hold on to them and keep phoning them. And uh, in both things, you know, as a fire chief and on the administrative side, right? I would even say that I have some some mayors and councillors and Reeves along the way that probably influenced me as much as anybody from administration or the fire service world. Absolutely. It's such a different role. As you know, my time as a firefighter was amazing. And as I look back, I wish I would have enjoyed more of my time as a firefighter because I seem to always uh, have something in me. I was looking for what I was going to do next. The change from firefighter to training officer was really very significant. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and uh, we're, we were in Manitoba at the time, and we were in a combined service. So we were doing uh, fire and ambulance at the same time. And EMS was going through, well, EMS is always going through big changes. But we're moving from uh, EMT or EMR to PCP, so primary care paramedic, yeah. and uh, tacking on a bunch of medical type transfers of functions, so cardioversion and yeah. IVs. And what are we going to be doing now with our new title? Yes, yes. <laughs> so it was a, a really interesting, just an incredible time of growth, jumping into that training officer role. It happened early in my career, and it was just the way things lined up. I was just very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. But then meeting Wayne and uh, moving to the, the deputy chief side of things. Remember, as a firefighter in the union, I always figured I knew the way it should be. And I don't know why these chiefs can't figure it out. <laughs> Did they forget where they came from? If so, I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times. So then as you as you get to the other side, you realize, oh, there's a little more to this. <laughs> I, I always call the administration side the dark side. But uh, yeah. there's, there's a few dark sides depending where you're standing, I it, guess. It depends on where you are. It depends on where you are. Well, it was... Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Cranbrook. Amazing experience. Uh, great department. It was a nice size. It was uh, very much like a family. And there was there was no real hard lines between union and management. We had different roles. But I would say we were all friends. Like, there were still expectations and the job yeah, got course. done and yeah. all of those kinds of things. But it was just at that right size. You know, if you needed to borrow a truck, someone always had a truck or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I always talk about that, you know, like it's hard to be the fire chief and be everybody's friend. And after a while, you just kind of figure it out. And and I would tell people and I to this day tell people that I'm good, right? Like I could be your boss and I can be your friend and it's no problem. And you could do something that makes me mad. I could do something that makes you mad. We could have it out whatever and i can get over it i'm just i'm built that way so it's easy for me but you could definitely see as you go up to the top of the pyramid it gets harder and harder to do that and uh you really have to convince people that it's okay right yes and i mean i've had some flat out good rippers with people and yeah just the next day it's like hey you guys are still coming for the barbecue on friday right like yeah it's yeah. okay that was work who cares about work <laughs> now we're have, drinking beers at, at the barbecue that's different right yeah 
<laughs> well, in uh, different places, like it, it looks different depending on the organization and how it's set up. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and that relationship, right? It you, does. You go back. Um, we were just talking about that before, how all these different relationships, right? So, you know, Vernon, any pick any place you want. And we all have other municipalities that border us, other counties, other municipal districts, other regions, whatever you call them, everywhere you are in Canada. The relationship goes up and downs with politics, which yes. usually goes up and down with the money. but at the end of the day operationally it's usually pretty easy to get along as a fire department right firefighters are firefighters are firefighters around the globe as they visit these places it's the one true thing that i can find you can always find something to talk about and we can always relate uh, the good the bad and the ugly we all have the same three things right and so so that's kind of fun so so you end up here as the fire chief yes yeah no sorry you went from cranbrook to uh medicine hat medicine i I was with medicine hat fire for a couple years i had a terrible employment experience there i worked with some excellent people some great people had a boss that i uh was not aligned with at all that happens yeah yeah and so i went uh to private industry for a couple years i worked for a company methanex incredible company and uh it was uh just such a good experience i learned so much in the private industry that you don't get when you spend your whole life in municipal service so uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's different (laughs) yeah it is it is very different and uh boy if you needed to get something done it it could happen on a dime as long as you had a good case and you went went to your bosses i mean you could have the idea on uh, monday and you're implementing by uh, the following monday where, yeah, of course, municipal world, there's all sorts of planning and reports and and level. You could have the idea that you'll take the garbage out on Monday and be doing it by Monday. Yeah. That's about it. That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, I, I often tell people, you know, got to go through Slave Lake and, and got to go through Fort Mac in the 2013 floods. Got to do a lot of disaster work. And, uh, you know, there's so many horrible memories, but there's also so many good ones. Yeah. And, and one thing about disaster time is that it's kind of like private industry. You can have an idea. Yes, and, and get it done. And just go, yes. right? Like yeah. all of those times, like two weeks at a time, there was no red tape. There was no meetings. There was no, it was like, this is the right thing to do. And this is what we're going to do. That's you right. might be right. You might be wrong, but we you, could do it, right? And you get, and kind of that old phrase, get her done. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're, you're trying to put a dry hydrant in next to a lake and, and you're dealing with fisheries and road weight constrictions you know to get and the a heavy neighbor equipment that in thinks and, it's gonna oh, affect their dog and yeah yeah so it's a five-year <laughs> process but when the fire is coming over the hill you can pound in six of those things exactly wherever you want <laughs> people are like put in my yard over yeah. here yeah <laughs> yeah no it's so true and i mean i always enjoyed that aspect of it that mm-hmm. you know we could just do the right thing for the right reason at yeah. the right time and as long as that was your goal there was really nothing restricting you. Yeah. You know, did we always get it right? No. But, you know, nine times out of 10, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. If I ever got a 90 in high school, which I did not, I would have been excited and happy, right? Exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So you went through that and ended up over here in BC. Yeah. I've uh, been in Vernon for, well, since uh, November 2016. We've been through a lot of change in the last five plus years, I guess. Lots of good good things happening in the in the uh, in the department and in the region, and uh, I've lived right through Canada. As I mentioned, my dad was in the yeah, military, so yeah. so been pretty much in in most of the provinces, and then even in my own career, I've moved around a bit. And I love the Okanagan. The, if I have my way, this is where I'll spend the rest of my days. Yeah. So, yeah. We all know it's truly up to your wife, but uh, yes, maybe absolutely. This might work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it out there as an idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> No, it is beautiful over here. I mean, there's a reason why hundreds of thousands of people come visit this place every year, right? Um, it is beautiful. It is nice. And one day I'll retire and enjoy a summer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My first year after I left Slave Lake, it was July. I would say maybe middle towards the end of July. And I said to my wife, I was like, what do you guys do all summer? Right. Because for 20 years straight, I would, yeah. I just fought fire. And if I wasn't fighting fire there, I went somewhere else and fought fire. Yeah. She's like, well, like we relax. I said, relax. Well, this is cool. Explain this to me. What, what does relax mean? What, what are you guys up to? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, by August, I was like, oh, I get it. 
this is fantastic. Yeah. You know, the sun is going, I can go out on the lake, I can fish, I can do whatever I want. I can go visit people, right? Found out what was on TV on Monday nights. Oh, I yes. Had no idea. yes. You know, but then again, then the firefighter in you always kicks back in. And you're yes. like, hey, you know what? Can't just be sitting around here. We got stuff to do. And so as fun as it was to try to relax, it's not really the blood of a firefighter to be just sitting around doing nothing. You got to be moving. Got to be moving. Got to be thinking, right? And so you came here, which was great. And so another thing I like to talk about all the time is that whole going from volunteer to paid on call, paid on call to full time, and then full time to, hey, now we're going to have all full time. And then the union pieces and all of those things. Yeah, I'm not for or against any of those models. I think all of those models are sweet and they all have different places that they have to be. You've got to work in every single one and yes. every single style. You've got to be most of those things. You said you worked on the base as well as a firefighter? Did yeah, you? yeah. when I started off uh, after fire college, uh, I worked for a company called Frontech and they had taken over from D&D or, or at ben, Co-Frontech. At Co-Frontech. Wow. And uh, for, they were providing crash tender fire protection, but also structure fire protection to the base. I, th- I spent about two years with them. And I was, uh, at the same time, I was volunteering in Portage the Prairie, uh, paid on call, I guess. So which place was that? Uh, that was in Portage. It was right in Portage. Right okay. in Portage, I've been yeah. to Southport. South, Southfield. Uh, oh, no, not Southfield. Southport. Southport. Southport, okay. The base, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The pri- it's kind of, a lot of it's privatized now. It is, it yeah, is. Yeah, that was a cool place. Uh, it was a really neat experience because, <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, in fire college, I hadn't done crash tender training. So that, that was something that company world, they took me into and... I didn't realize, but that little airport, uh, because the military was doing all their helicopter, uh, King Air, and yes, they had more takeoffs and landing than any other airport. And uh, so there weren't that many emergencies. I was fresh out of school and there weren't that many of uh, uh, firefighters. There were five of us, I think. Yeah of us but it was just an excellent experience it was it's a, a really beautiful little spot right it's a weekday during yeah. the day job because the the flights it's training right so yes. they're, they're not flying them at night and if they are it's a special occasion and they're letting you know and and uh, everyone there i found is wide-eyed right they're, oh, yeah. they're all learning new new things whether it's on the king air or the tutor or yeah. the helicopters and then they had the remote site the jet rangers uh, yeah, yeah, all yeah, of these yeah. cool pieces right <laughs> yeah and it's just a cool place to to go around and so it's fun it's fun. i don't often get to meet someone that got to work in so many different pieces of this uh, private public government and so it's great i mean and it's so different. I try to explain to people all the time the difference between them, but it's really hard to explain, right? It, it is. It is. Until, yeah. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. Just such a rich experience being able to be in those places, it's, it's been a real blessing. I mean, as a municipal firefighter, we've had a few aircraft accidents, helicopter crash in uh, Cranbrook. Ironically, I was in Helena at the time doing ARF refresher training. How it goes, It was a couple blocks from the house. But uh, I mean, at the same time, there were a few light planes that flipped over at the airport and stuff. In Brandon, there was a, what was the Canadian Forces uh, team? Snowbirds. Snowbirds had come in with uh, some sort of a problem. And the uh, Brandon airport at the time didn't have a crash tender service. So as structure firefighters, we were going up there and they're describing the plane. I understand the plane. I know, you know, how to open the canopy and all that stuff. So we never had to do any of that yeah. stuff, but it was just a really... Nice to have that in your back pocket. Yeah. And I was <laughs> I was a kid, right? Like yeah. I was the young guy at the department. I was like, oh my gosh, I know something about this. This is pretty cool. Finally, it's me. Pick me. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that working in all of the different services. So I worked in McGregor, Manitoba, a volunteer service right out of fire college. So I was in Portage working at the base as a paid job. 
and then I was paid per call in the city of Portage to Prairie, just evenings and weekends kind of thing. Yeah. Then in my time off from those two, I was uh, volunteering in McGregor. Yeah, of course you were. Yeah. The firefighter, <laughs> the firefighter way. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> so those years were a lot of fun. And it's interesting how small our world is, like uh, still connected to some of those good people. Some of them are fire chiefs now. You make those bonds. But yeah, Portage to the Prairie was, there were some career and there were some paid on call and there were more paid on call than there were career. So that was a neat experience. A good group of people, some from every walk of life, uh, lots with no intention of being careered. They're just there to volunteer or, or to be paid on call. And that's that's what they wanted yeah. to do. And then I went to Brandon and that was full career. Like that was just 100% career. And um, there's a level of simplicity to being in one system or the other system and not having a foot in each camp. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, so, <laughs> uh, the, the two feet over the line, one on each side, is the. it's probably the hardest thing to do in the fire service. I think it is. I think it is. And so when I went to Cranbrook, uh, that was a combination department. And so career and auxiliary and a real mix there. We really found a good place there with that. So good things there. And back to Medicine Hat as all career again. And now here in Vernon, we're a combination department. Again, so Again. back to that experience. Back to that experience. We've had some real history in the city. Before my time with the city, one of our stations, Station 2, was run by an association. And this the city was actually funding the association. And I don't know what the amount of money was, but they would get a, a fund every year to run the fire service in that part of the city. And then so in the other part of the city, you have a full-time career department. And so you've got this association over here. And the way they were set up, they were actually providing, from what I understand, really good service. It seemed like everyone lived right around the station. Of course, yeah. Set their lives up around firefighting. Right? They did. They did. <laughs> and But it was a different time. And it was more of a club. Like they had a mechanic shop. And uh, there was a bar in the basement and those types of things that you can't do today. And so, Even though we want to. Even we though can. we want to. <laughs> uh, and, and then so that when the city took that station back... Some of those folks that were part of that association became members of the Vernon Volunteer Firefighters Association. So they weren't volunteers anymore. Now they're paid on call. But a lot of history, a lot of conflict and and back and forth, a lot of hurt feelings there. Hurt feeling reports for days, I bet. I can only imagine. Absolutely. We've come through through all of that, but you'll still hear some old stories, you know, coming around. Hurt feelings take a long time to repair. A long time to repair. Yeah, I think we're in a good place. So we're running right now, we're running a full-time engine out of our Station 1, which is downtown and, and where the largest percentage of our call volume is and our highest risk. And then that Okanagan landing station is run by a, a light engine company most of the time. And we're working towards staffing that out. And then we have a third hall up at Predator Ridge that we're opening during high-risk season. So if there's a large event out at Predator Ridge, we'll open that up. And we're working towards a paid-per-call response out of that hall. That would be recognized by us. It's about 15 minutes from the other stations, so we need some sort of an interim thing. Harder to find people that own million-dollar houses that want to volunteer to be firefighters, probably, though. It's been a struggle. (laughs) It's been a struggle. And it's a developing community, so it's very affluent, um, very high-end homes, an amazing resort, Sparkling Hill, incredible world-class resort people coming from around the globe to go there but still a relatively small community if you look at it like that because how many towns with 600 homes in them or 800 homes in them have their own fire department right like right. It, there's yeah. a reason that doesn't happen yeah the risk is there though right the so risk it's the is difference there. and yeah. Uh, yeah it's always looking at that community hazard right to say what's actually in there and what's going on but it makes it tough and you could even say, oh, well, we'll get a bunch of the younger people from the resort to come and be paid on call firefighters, but they're there for a reason and their employers want them working at the resort. And and so it gets tougher and tougher, right? Those are some of the strategies we're trying to use. I don't think any one strategy is going to address it. We're going to have to target uh, the folks working up there. Right. And then we're probably going to have to fill in gaps with some career. Need um, some uh, ex-NHLers to sign up for paid on call shifts. We do. <laughs> <laughs> call the chief. <laughs> yes. He's looking for a few good people. <laughs> yes. Yes. We actually were really fortunate. We have some uh, retired fire guys up there, young retired fire guys. Uh, okay. So we have a fire chief up there who's just recently retired and a couple uh, career folks, uh, some from Edmonton and Calgary. So if we can... All right. Get a little bit of structure around that. We just need a few more. Just got to manage those guys. 
That's right. That's right. Right on. Okay, so, you know, you, you came up, man, so many great experiences and, and so many great things. As you come through, there's obviously things that you really loved and were passionate about, other things that weren't. We were joking not that long ago. It wasn't that funny because it's true, but deputy chief's always a good job, kind of just like yeah. assistant coach is a good job. As you came through, though, do you remember what were the highlights? Like, where were some things where you're like, I got the world by the tail today because I have this job? Hmm. I know early in my career, like I have some really fond memories of those early days working in Brandon. Um, But also even before that, I think I was saying, I don't know if I said earlier, but I wish I would have spent more time as a young firefighter really appreciating (laughs) where I was in the moment. Kicking some more doors down and having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Instead of being so focused on what was to come next. So I think all the way along the line, there's been just some amazing experiences one of the things I thought was really amazing with Methanex, that private company I spent a couple of years with, they're an international company. They they produce methanol. I think they're the probably the largest producer in the world or, or very close. They run their own fleet ships and, and those kinds of things. Oh, wow. I had an opportunity to work with 10 or 15 other people, a lot of them engineers and, and other professionals, but like from Egypt and Trinidad. And, oh, cool. Uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. All over the world. <laughs> Louisiana, right? yeah. like, like yeah. just everywhere. 15 different accents in the room, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was me and one fire guy. Okay. Uh, other fire guy, a captain from one of the plants. And the rest of them engineers. And we were looking at solutions for large volume storage of methanol and what happens when these plants, they're high pressure, high heat, creating a, a volatile substance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? And, and I got to be part of this group. And here we are in Waterfront, 2000 Waterfront, like on the ocean, one of the top floors overlooking the bay and I'm, I'm in this room with these incredible people making these big choices for an international company i thought that was absolutely amazing yeah that, that sounds was, pretty awesome actually. yeah it was pretty cool right? yeah uh, even if your voice is small in a big room it's still fun to be in the room right oh so good to be there so good to be there <laughs> uh, they, and they leaned on myself and the uh, the other fire guy because we were the closest to what actually happens. Yeah. So they've got their their modeling and their forecasting. Okay, if this component catches fire, it's going to radiate this many BTUs okay. and it's going to be yeah. in this circle. So the engineering need... part of it. Right? Yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah, that's cool. And we're kind of doing the thing like, well, you really can't put a monitor there because there's an obstruction in the way and you're not going to get the fire flow. Um, those kinds of, right. you know, yeah. kinds of things. Put on a flat map. Yeah. It looks okay, right? It looks good on a map. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that engineering world that uh, we run into that from time to time. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that a lot of the places, you know, that were my favorite and and I remember are those collaborative processes where you're in there trying to, whether you're building a fire hall or a fire truck or trying to figure out a process for something, it's always exciting to be in there coming up with solutions, right? And And to massive problems sometimes, or if nothing else, expensive problems. Yeah. And so uh, I couldn't agree with you more that it was fun. I also, I was lucky. I got to spend, I don't know what it was, 10 years as a firefighter, mm-hmm. um, all paid on call. Actually, the start was even volunteer mm-hmm. and uh, got to kick in my shared doors and run the pump and do all the fun things. I transitioned a little too fast from firefighter to training at Vermilion to mm-hmm. deputy chief to chief. And so I missed the lieutenant, captain, kind of some of that middle management, I guess we'll call it, type positions. Yeah. I always felt like, you know, could have probably even been a better leader if I would have had that full educational experience in the middle, right? In the middle. Before we go on, I want to tell you about (laughs) my time in Cranbrook and it was so amazing. So this little department had been, um, it had been underfunded for a long time and the morale was in the toilet. And uh, I mentioned Wayne Price and just what an amazing leader he was. And I was there at a time when we were building. And so new station, new trucks, new equipment, and uh, staffing and uh, the morale just lifted, like just because of the good leadership and the and everyone bought in. And there was some friction and some rubbing from time to time, you know, like there always is. And uh, a little bit of stress here and there. But uh, that was, I'm, I'm very, very proud of that time. That was really amazing. And we've done a lot here in Vernon. We've really accomplished a lot here too. So th- those are amazing experiences. Sorry, I digress. I just no, no, you're, you're allowed. This, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want here. And, and you know what? I think that's important because some people are not at that point right now. Some people are at that point where it's like really ugly and it's all politics and everyone's fighting. 
um, it's nice for them to be able to hear that there is positivity and it can change. And frankly, that probably they should get on board with that change and be part of that collaborative process. I'm famous for talking about ego, turf, time and money being the big four evils in the fire service. And so many of those bad experiences are ego and turf. It's the grind and, and people's pumping up their big chest there to show everybody they're there. When really, that's not what the fire service is about. It never was, right? Yeah. I wouldn't want a firefighter without a little bit of ego. This is a dangerous job and, and we got to be ready for it. You need you need the confidence. Yeah, right? <laughs> you you got to just measure how much of everything and, and time and place. Those those two things are, are important as well, right? So I love that you got to go through that. I mean, you can't just go from place to place dealing with all the bad stuff. No. You, you got to be a part of a few wins, right? You, you got to have. <laughs> you need the wins to get you through the hard times. Right? So that yeah. when you get to the next hard time, you could be like, okay, well, it has a beginning and a middle and an end and we'll get there and and then we'll do something else right and so it is it's super important for people to hear those awesome stories yeah. that, that it goes good and you can get through it i can remember the first time when we regionalized and the guy i was working for decided that he would strip every one of their titles on the same day oh my gosh so we had four fire halls and everybody lost their title and and then about a year went by and then we put in a i think the title was communications officer for each fire hall Okay. And I would like, I never heard of that in that scope. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so of course we built back and, and got everyone with their titles and, but the hurt feelings of being a fire chief in a small rural place one day oh. and being nothing the next, some people never got over it. Right. And so, you know, there's always those good and bad and ugly pieces, those examples that you should definitely do that. And then there's those other ones where you're like, well, I learned a lot from that. Don't do, don't do that, whatever you do. Right? <laughs> I've, I've, I've learned as much from the, the bosses that I ha I've had that weren't great examples. I've, I've learned as much from them as I did from the, the really good ones, for yeah. sure. It's uh, I, I laugh. I've worked for 15 different CAOs now, and, and every single one brings something different to the yep. table. But, you know, it's funny how easy it is to want to emulate and, and copy the, the really, really good ones, right? Yeah. I just love it. I love the way people's faces light up when they start talking about their mentors and, and how it's good. And of course, both of us are sitting here hoping that there's other people that we've worked with in the past that talk about us like that when they get a chance. And Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, I think you hit on a really good point when you mentioned or, or when you were reflecting on your career and, you know, you missed a couple uh, couple roles in there. And, and I, I have a similar experience. I was a firefighter and became a training officer and then went to deputy chief. So I wasn't a lieutenant or a captain in there. I did end up filling those roles, those types of roles in different positions I was in with some of the volunteer departments and those types okay. of things and, and with private industry. But I've heard the opinion expressed that, you know, you should finish in the career world, that you should finish your last, you know, three to five years off in a chief's role. And, and what I've, what I've learned is I was in the firefighting long enough to know that, that side of things really well. I learned what I had to learn in the 15 years that I was, you know, on the floor. And then, but this management side, I'm still learning it today. And so I've been on this side of things for a long time. And there is no way someone can come in and learn uh, about how to manage a fire department in three to five years. You, you can't do it. You, it. It can't be done. <laughs> so... I think that mindset's flawed, and uh, uh, I don't mind saying it out loud. So I, I think if you're going to – people, we need leaders. We need administrators. Uh, it, it's important work uh, to keep the fire departments running. So we need people that are willing to step into these out-of-scope roles. And it's a real challenge in the fire service right now. Um, and you see it. like you, Right now you see the turnover, right? Like. Yeah. Uh, it kind of started with the CAOs. They became disposable. Yeah. You know, they would go like two to five years and then, okay, we'll get rid of that because you don't agree with them and they're gone. And and now it's kind of coming down. You'll see it. You see it with fire chiefs now, right? That's your career gets limited. Some people get lucky. They work in one place their whole time. Yeah. Others, you know, you, you they get in there for a few years and change. And now I even see it starting to go down to deputies. Yes. And you're like, wow, that's like, I never thought you'd see a time. I honestly, if you would asked me, I started in my hometown and yeah. I was positive I would have died there. Right. And for many years, I probably would have said that until things change. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I know early in my career in Brandon at the time, I felt like I would be there for forever. That was the mindset. Like that was you, you start and you get become senior and you promote and that's, that's the way it is. 
and when you step out and you you get into this other world, there's risk. Uh, there's risk. If you don't fit the organization, you may decide it's time to go and leave. So there's opportunity there. As a unionized firefighter, I don't recall ever being headhunted. <laughs> but <laughs> once you get out of scope, as long yeah. as you stay relevant, it's different. It's yeah, different, right. and, and sometimes people come looking for you, and that's a really cool thing. You know, when once you get to that, point. have some accomplishments, and yeah. yeah, get to that point. But it is strange. You, you see CAOs as mayors and councils change. You see CAOs come and go, and you do see fire chiefs coming and going. I mean, you make make the wrong mistake publicly enough and um, you're working somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, so, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, and that's just kind of a new thing. Yeah. I would say I didn't really see that till about five years ago and now it's yeah. just kind of, and I don't know if just the world got so busy or, you know, people forgot to, I blame social media, mostly because yeah. I blame them for everything. You know, everything's so vocal and, and out there in the world now that uh, you used to have to wait for the weekly paper to really be able to complain. Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rant and, and rave Now session. I can complain right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's funny how it goes. It just flips back to that, you know, if you do the right thing for the right reason at the right time. Yes. If someone doesn't agree with it, it's okay. It's probably time for you to go, honestly, right? I've really gotten there. It's taken a long time. <laughs> it, it's hard. It's a skill you learn, right? Yeah. You come from this, well, I'm here. i got to make this work no matter what. And yeah. And so now there's lots of times where you, you come to the realization that the organization needs you more than you need the organization. And that's not always true, but uh, you definitely want to stay marketable. That's where your power is once you step out of those, those roles. It's such a different mindset. I remember wanting to take a course or wanting to learn more about my profession, my job, and actually being discouraged sometimes by other members because it was it was not being paid for by the organization or something like that. And uh, are you crazy? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and certainly if you're if you're in this out of scope world, you need a mindset where you own your education, you own you own that and you're responsible for it. Yeah. And and you don't let let anyone else have much sway over it. It's yeah, it's crazy. It's incredible to to see uh sadly I'm too young to retire because I feel like I'm ready. But eventually I'll get there. But I don't know the next ten years what those changes will look like and yeah. and if it'll be good trends or bad. Right now it's it's kind of disappointing. I don't like to see people flipping like that because I know, you know, doing my other job, I'm left with the chaos of multiple chiefs in multiple years and, and what that does to the organization, right? And uh, absolutely, so yeah. The morale and the, everything, the, the purchasing, the building, the, you know, the, the team, right? Yeah, if you, if you have a plan and you're working a plan, you need some time to make those things come together. And if you're, if you're not bought in and, and committed, you lose that continuity and you start and stop. The poor people working there have to try and figure out uh, what's coming next. It's, it's like well, no kidding, you know, right? Another. You look at the bookshelf and it's got a whole bunch of white binders there. You know you've been through lots of things, right? And, yes. And which one did we follow and not follow? And and so that that makes it tough. But now we're just a couple of fire chiefs whining about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. There's lots of great advice in that, and and uh, I think that people got to think about that. I'm often brought in to talk to the councils and, and say, let's just take a breath, yeah. figure out what we're really upset about, right? And can we just figure it out rather than chop, 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 because chop, chop, chop's not always the way to get it done, right? That, that's the truth. And, you know, anytime you're having a change of mayor and council or a change in CAO, it's a little bit of a dangerous time. Or maybe not dangerous, but it... it definitely can put you on edge a bit yeah it, you know? and it is it's something you got to really pay attention to and i guess that's all part of those relationships we talked about earlier yeah you know whether it's relationships with other communities relationships with your firefighters or your team or your management team administration council it's all the same right it's yeah. uh it's a lot of work to manage all those relationships all the time it is so it is. it'd be more fun to be out at predator ridge <laughs> All right, so flipping back to you, right? I like to kind of at the end talk about some some more fun things, right? So, favorite apparatus? What what style apparatus do you like? Not not Pierce for Gary, yeah. but uh, ladder truck, tender, bush buggy, engine, arf. Uh, well, I love the arf. That thing was a lot of fun. Uh, it was an old one. That was an old Walter. That thing was a blast. We had this uh, not styles, but it was it was an old truck. It was in Brandon. It was a Mac. And it was with the uh, open cab in the back. 
you know, like the old yeah, yeah. And that thing sounded tough. It was slow, but oh my goodness, <laughs> what an amazing truck! It just had the uh, the big old windshields and the it was all metal. You close the door, and everything was tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. built for a life of service for yeah, sure. That was incredible. I really enjoy the engines. They don't let me drive them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Add another thing that's fun that the chief can't do anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, can I go? Can I go? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we spec'd an engine uh, ground up in Cranbrook with a small team and group. And uh, it was it was a cool experience. It was a Pierce, but just a neat experience to be working with a committee and a group of people. And, and at the end, you get this product that's going to be in the department. It probably should be in there for 20, but it's going to be there for 30 or 35 yeah. in most cases. Who, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Let's see if uh, what oil is that depends. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you like the engines. I love the kind of the change in all of the engines, mm -hmm. right? You know, from those old beefy, yeah. tough, like, you know, built for forever because we thought maybe they would have to last forever to now kind of more sleek, dynamic, more of a Swiss Army knife, I guess you'd say, most of the engines we get today. Yeah. But it's cool. It's cool how they keep changing and, and doing all those things. When we were out there, I noticed most of your trucks are red, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your favorite color. Right. Right. right? So when you order a fire truck, in your mind, what color is it always? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I've seen some of the black now with the pinstripe, and it looks really cool. But they're still red in my eyes. Um, I had started in the, well, I, we had talked about earlier, in Brandon in, in the military kind of ballpark and they had that that slime yellow. Remember that slime? Safety yellow or yellow. green? Safety yellows. Oh, that was horrid. And uh, so. First thing I got rid of when I finally got to a to a place where I could make changes. Got, yeah. Got rid of the yellow. Yeah. Yeah, we're all red and I think we'll stay that way. So yeah. I'm still with you though. I like a, uh, you know, black over red. Yeah, that, that looks you know? really sharp. Oh, and there's yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, Parkland County out in Alberta has a bunch of those, and they're starting to be more and more as I cross the country now. But I will still say that I. 95% of the trucks I see are red. Yeah. So that's a big thing out there. Killarney, Manitoba, at least a couple decades ago had these shamrock green trucks oh wow very okay. cool <laughs> i've seen some of those down in the states florida's got some of those and kind of a bright orange is oh. kind of a new fad in some places where where you're starting to see that all black trucks yeah uh, but you know i've seen them now i mean honestly almost every color yeah. right pink for cancer yes. awareness uh, purple ones you know just about every shade that's out there yeah it's still you know, those greeny yellow ones. <laughs> I, I'll be hurting some feelings here. Sorry, folks. But just, yeah, I'm with you. They're not my favorite. Yeah, no, right? that, so. that should never have happened. <laughs> <laughs> but when you read the study, right? I know, I know. They yeah. tricked us. They yeah. always trick us. Last color to disappear from the color spectrum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always laughed when we got a, a white one. We're in Slave Lake, northern Alberta. Right? Mm -hmm. Eight months of winter and four months of bad weather. So snow everywhere. <laughs> All the time. And we get this white truck. You say, oh, yeah, but we put lots of red stickers on it. Camouflaged. Please, please <laughs> stop. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, this has been great. Our time here together has been awesome. Appreciate so much having me out and showing me around and, and uh, talking about all these things. Couldn't be happier than to be here today recording this uh, podcast with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and it's been wonderful to have you in. Awesome. We'll talk some more soon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.